Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, good evening. Again, thanks to everyone for joining us. I saw Sam Hernandez is here with us, worshiping with us. We miss you too. So glad that you have joined us. Saw your comment that this is a very interesting time to go through Holy Week and Passover and Good Friday as so many in the world are grieving and in fear. It's another reminder that at the heart of our Christian faith is not self-help. It's not uh, some kind of myth of unending progress. It is a crucified man. It is... The cross, at the heart of all that Christians believe, stands this symbol of God's self-sacrificial love for us. And on Good Friday, the call for the church is to take an unflinching look at the cross, to look at Jesus hanging on the cross, to receive from the eyes of Christ on the cross his great love, God's great love for us. You might be aware in the Gospels, Jesus has a few things to say while he is being crucified. If you were to go and count up through all four Gospels, there's a total of seven statements that Jesus makes. He says, first, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. A remarkable statement as Jesus prays for the forgiveness of those who are killing him. He then says to the thief, On his side, truly I tell you, today you'll be in paradise with me. That's the second word from the cross. He then says, woman, behold thy son to his mother. And then behold thy mother to John, the beloved disciple. This fourth statement on the cross is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22 verse 1. The sixth word is, it is finished. And his final word on the cross is, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I wonder which of those seven words strikes you as most profound or meaningful. When you hear or think about those seven statements that Jesus makes on the cross, which really draws you into worship, into the mystery of Jesus' crucifixion on our behalf? Let me know in the comments below. When you think of the seven statements on the cross, which ones stand out to you? Which really illustrate for you the deep love and sacrifice that God in Christ makes as he dies for us and for our salvation? As your answers are coming in, I don't have the opportunity to see them in front of me, but I'm going to take a stab. I'm going to make a guess that most of us might not be answering or or being drawn to primarily this statement on the cross where Jesus says, I thirst. It's perhaps the most human and most ordinary of the statements. Compared to some of the else, it perhaps seems a little mundane. But this is, in fact, the statement I want to focus on, to zoom in on this evening as we worship on this Good Friday. We find Jesus talking about his thirst in the Gospel of John. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up with me to John chapter 19. And we we see this exchange take place in a short but tightly packed paragraph that begins in verse 28 of chapter 19 and goes through verse 30. If you would read with me. 
It reads like this. After this, and the this is Jesus combining, putting together his mother with his disciple John. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill all the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine on a hyssop branch was put on a sponge and held to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We have here this scene, Jesus is being crucified. It's been taking place now for a little bit. And Jesus cries out and says, I thirst, I am thirsty. And our first reaction to this is, well, of course, right? Why wouldn't he be thirsty? It's, it's pretty plausible that Jesus maybe hadn't had a drink for almost 18 hours until the Last Supper the previous day. One of the things that crucifixion does to a person is it makes them very dehydrated. And we know Jesus had lost a lot of bodily fluids with some of the torture he had already experienced before being put on the cross. So Jesus says, I thirst, and the people around him, they take a hyssop branch, and they put some sour wine on it, and they give it to him. Jesus takes a drink, and then he dies. And we might ask ourselves, what more is there to this than that? But I want to suggest this evening that like most things in John's gospel, there's a deeper, perhaps hidden fruitful layer for us to explore. Jesus in John's gospel rarely says anything that doesn't have kind of a deeper meaning to it. John, as a theological artist, loves to paint stories that tie in with other stories in his gospel and loves to paint situations where certain characters don't really get what's happening, but we, the reader, can understand what's happening if we pay attention and look closely And there are lots of signs that more is happening in this passage than just a retelling of Jesus' thirstiness on the cross. Now, I don't want to suggest that the literal reading here is not true. I think obviously Jesus, it makes sense that he was thirsty on the cross. And so without destroying a very kind of surface level literal reading, I think though there are clues that something deeper is happening. One of the clues is that John includes this story at all. When you're asking about the meaning of a text, of a story, one of the things to pay attention to is is just to ask yourself, what did the narrator, what did the storyteller include, and what did they not include? John's not a stenographer. He's not recording everything that he possibly could about every time in Jesus' life. And so if he says something, he must think it's important and meaningful. You know, we're not given a lot of details about the crucifixion, much unlike what we might expect. None of the Gospels really go into any kind of gory details. As a kid growing up, it seemed that youth pastors really loved to lean on that in Good Friday sermons. They, they loved to kind of make us all a little uncomfortable going through just all of the gory and painful details until we're all kind of squirming in our seats. But the Gospels kind of surprise us with their their lack of interest in some of those details. This is one of the closest we get to it, where we see Jesus as he's crucified being thirsty. Some other clues that maybe more is happening here involve the rest of John's gospel and what we've found leading up until this story. 
So if you were to sit down and read John's gospel from beginning to end, by the time you get to John chapter 19 and Jesus' statement that I'm thirsty on the cross, you'll have seen that Jesus has already talked quite a bit about thirst. Water splashes around in the first few chapters of John's gospel. John the Baptist shows up in chapter 1 and he's baptizing people with water. Nicodemus is told that he's got to be born both of water and of spirit. In John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. And this seems to be kind of a bookend with that, that narrative. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus takes water and turns it into wine. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is calling out for and lacking water. But then in chapter 4, Jesus goes on a journey into Samaria. We're told that he gets tired and he's hungry and he sends the disciples ahead of him to go and give him some food. It is an interesting story in John chapter 4. I've heard it said before that, that this story illustrates perhaps the only one without a Messiah complex is the Messiah himself. He's like, go on ahead. I can't keep doing this. Grab me a sandwich, meet me back here, and we'll eat and rest up. He's tired, and, and he encounters a woman at a well in John 4, the Samaritan woman. And in verse 13, Jesus, after asking her for a drink, gets into a conversation with her, a dialogue, and ends up saying this, Everyone who drinks of this water, his living water, will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman's confused at first. She, she thinks Jesus is talking about actual water. And she says, look, you don't even have a bucket. This is a deep well. You're not going to be able to get me water. But as you read the story more closely, in verse 31, Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Perhaps the drink that Jesus was after, his thirst at the beginning of this conversation was not for literal physical water, but was actually a thirst, a desire to give her his living water, a type of water that will always satisfy. What you find in John's gospel, beginning here in chapter four, is water, like many other themes and words in John's gospel, are often used in a symbolic sense. And water represents, thirst represents a longing for God's presence a longing for God's life, for His justice and righteousness, for an experience of His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In chapter 6, if you continue reading on John's Gospel, verse 35, Jesus cries out, He says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and then whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And again, Jesus is not talking here simply about a thirst for water or wine. He's talking about a deeper, more spiritual thirst that we have for meaning and life and satisfaction. In chapter 7, Jesus again calls out, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living water. Now, Jesus is not the first one in John's gospel to use the imagery, the thought of thirsting and of water in a kind of symbolic way. The psalmists do this. In Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2, we read, 
The psalmist says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Perhaps you've felt a moment like this in your life, where you realize that the things you've leaned on for satisfaction and meaning aren't giving you that satisfaction and meaning And you realize your truest need is for God and for His presence and His life, His sustenance, His spirit to sustain you. And like a deer, you find your soul panting. You cry out and say, my soul is thirsting for you, God. When can I come and drink? When can I come and be quenched? In Psalm 31, verse 1, the psalmist says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and early land where there is no water. In Isaiah 55, 1, the last example I'll give this evening, a beautiful gospel invitation. We're told that the invitation will go out in the day of God's kingdom, and it'll sound like this. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, eat, and drink. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And so Jesus has a history already, even here just in John's gospel, of talking about thirst in a way that is more than literal, that represents a longing for God in God's presence. We're told if we look closer at this passage, we, we might be surprised at kind of the clunky and long introduction to the statement. In verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. The the picture we get here is that Jesus on the cross knows exactly what's going on. He's got full knowledge of what's happening and why it's happening. And that he says, I thirst, not just out of a reaction or physical need, but out of some conscious awareness that he wants to fulfill scripture. Now, there are a couple different scriptures that might be being referred to here. To me, it seems most likely Jesus is talking about a a scripture we find in Psalm chapter 69, where someone talks about his enemies giving him a sour drink. Imagine, though, Jesus on the cross, moments away from dying, still having the faculties, still feeling in control enough of the situation to know what he needs to do, what he wants to do to finish and fulfill the scriptures. This is actually the picture John gives us of Jesus throughout the gospel. John would have us believe because of multiple things that are said in John's gospel that when we see Jesus on the cross, we're not seeing a tragic victim, someone who's in over their head. No, Jesus in John's gospel says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. Jesus anticipates a cosmic battle happening at the crucifixion where he is going to drive out the ruler of this world. And so Jesus, still aware, still conscious, says, I thirst to do something, to accomplish something, to fulfill this scripture. And if we were to look a little bit earlier in this chapter, chapter 18, we find that Jesus tells us, in language similar to what we have been talking about, that he desires to drink the cup that the Father has prepared for him. And what is this cup? It's to lay down his life, 
to suffer for us and for our salvation. Later, when Jesus is arrested, he says to his disciples not to refuse this arrest. He says, instead, shouldn't I drink the cup that the Father has prepared for me? And so perhaps when Jesus on the cross says, I thirst, he's not simply talking about a physical thirst that he has, but perhaps he's communicating that he thirsts to complete and finish the work that the Father has laid out for him, to suffer on our behalf, to lay down his life that we might receive life. Perhaps he's also thirsting for God's presence and life, for his resurrection and eventual ascension back to the side of the Father. Now notice that, again, this doesn't take away the more literal surface-level reading. For Jesus to thirst to complete God's will is to involve suffering, to lay down his life, which necessitates and involves a physical suffering where he does experience this thirst as he's dehydrated on the cross. This is what I mean when I say it's not less than a literal reading, it's more than. There's something deeper happening here. And it's extremely ironic that the man, the God-man, God incarnate, on the cross says, I'm thirsty, because throughout the gospel, he's been telling people that I have an inexhaustible wellspring of water. If you drink from me, you'll never be thirsty. And yet here he is, and he's thirsty. It's almost as if he's spent His supply is out. What's happening here? We could say this. On the cross, the thirstless one becomes thirsty in order that you and I might be quenched. The thirstless one becomes thirsty in order that you and I might be quenched. The one who's never experienced thirst though he's noticed it in others and has said he's come in order to solve this problem, he now experiences it. He takes into himself, onto himself, all the suffering of the world. He takes our place that we might be quenched, that through the giving of the Holy Spirit, through the formation of the church, God's presence and life might draw near to us and we might find ourselves transformed and able to live and enjoy a new life in God's kingdom. As we dwell on Jesus' crucifixion, might it be that we are seeing the thirsty God in Christ quenching our thirst? And I would ask you this evening to think about, to answer this question, what are you thirsty for? Where are you drinking? Where are your go-to places to drink? to try to find this transcendental experience, transcendental meaning, the spiritual satisfaction. In Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah, speaking on God's behalf, says that my people have forsaken me, their spring of living water, and they've dug their own broken cisterns that can't hold water. This is similar to what Jesus says to the woman in Samaria in chapter 4. She's been going from husband to husband to husband to try to have her thirst quenched. And they all leave her feeling empty. And Jesus says, instead, if if you would drink what I have to offer you, you would never thirst again. This 
pandemic that we're experiencing, the shutdown of so many of our lives, some of our businesses, our school and its schedule, one of the things it's doing, at least in my own heart and maybe in yours as well, is it's exposing some of the broken cisterns that I often have been drinking from. And in my normal routine, I'm distracted enough and I have enough going on that I'm able to not pay close attention to the things I'm substituting for God in my life. For places where I am hoping to get, trying to get satisfaction and meaning from a relationship or from a position of power or status of reputation from a certain place, a certain thing. No, with, with many of that, with much of that stripped away, I've, I've had to acknowledge that I can see more clearly than before the idolatry that subtly creeps into my life and perhaps yours as well. And I've had to confront the fact that so much of my life, if I'm really being honest, is me desperately trying to drink out of a broken cistern. And it's not even holding the water. And even the little satisfaction it gives me is not lasting. It's here for one moment and then gone for the next. And so like the psalmist, I've come back to this understanding that my true need, my deepest need is for God, for his presence and for his life. That what my soul thirsts for is for the life of God to quench my thirst. And could it be that this is the answer, actually, to the psalmist's question? When shall I come appear before my God? He says, as the deer is panted for water, so I pant for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for the Lord, for the living God. When can I come and appear before him? Is the cross the answer to the psalmist's questions? Is it the body and blood of Jesus? which is the time and the place for us to come before God and have our thirst quenched? Might it be that the death of Jesus is the quenching of our thirst, the opportunity and invitation for us to experience the presence and life of God? I'd like to end with a quote from a a biblical scholar, theologian, Stanley Hauerwas, and he says this, It's our God, the thirsty God, who is the one capable of saying in truth to us, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And in a minute we will come to the table together yet separated in remembrance of Jesus' death. And for all who are thirsty this evening, for all who can recognize and name and experience the thirst in their soul, the offer for us is that because of Jesus' crucifixion, because of his sacrifice, because of his taking our place on the cross, we can find in him our souls quenched. Do you desire that as much as I do? Then I invite you to participate with us now. I'm going to grab our communion elements and then I'll invite you to participate with me.